Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. My name is Zachary Bay of Shammai. And I am Eddie Meredith. And we are here with your Thanksgiving Week 7 episode in the OUA. A shortened week, but still a lot of interesting things. Some individual success, some interesting games that we had uh, last Friday. Uh, you know, for only four games, there was a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, very interesting games on Friday. The Thursday games, maybe not as much, but we're going to talk about them either way and, and have a look at the players who stood out uh, putting up exceptional stat lines in those games, and we'll talk about other stuff. Yeah, a lot of news coming, some big news, massive news coming out of Can West this week. Um, we'll get into all that towards the end of the episode, um, and we'll, of course, as always, preview the week to come in the OUA and a peek around some of the other uh, scores happening in U Sports. Uh, we'll go through the, uh, OU, the week in the OUA, starting with the Thursday games. We have the Ottawa-Toronto matchup, Windsor-Western, moving to Friday, Queens at uh, Queens and Mac, and then Laurier and Carlton. Sound good, Eddie? Let's get into it. Let's give her a rip. So let's start off with uh, Ottawa and Toronto. Final score in this one, GG's 53, UFT Blues 21. This was a nice Thursday night game here in the city. A little chilly out there, but you know, first and foremost, I'll give some. I'll give credit to um, the UFT fans and the student body for coming out, and there, there was actually a fairly strong contingent of uh, Ottawa fans there too, but you know, we kind of joked about going into that first Toronto game way back when um, that, you know, Toronto generally, they don't promote their team all that well. No, attendance often lags. It, it does. But then, of course, in, in the opening game against Waterloo, it's the O week. It's a lot of kids getting in the groove of things. There was a good turnout. And, you know, it, it wasn't to that extent this week, but I was still fairly happy that there was a very strong uh, contingency of, you know, not just, you know, you get, always get the, the family and friends of the players and coaches or whatever, but, you know, there was just a whole mess of, uh, like, it looked like first-year students. There was a couple, I think maybe from Lee side it looked like, just based on the the the, the color scheme of their, um, what do you call those jackets? The Yeah, the varsity the, letter jackets. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, nice nice evening out at uh, Varsity Stadium. You know, not so much for U of T. Um, you know, this game started off a little slow, which might have been, I guess if you're Ottawa, this game could have been considered looked at looked at as like a trap game. You're making the travel to Toronto. It's a shortened week, coming off the high of winning the Panda and feeling very good about your team overall. Yeah, with good reason. I mean, Ottawa's playing great football right now. Absolutely, and of course, with a massive game coming up in the following week, you know when they're gonna go head to head with the Mustangs. This this had. You know, this had trap game written all over it for them, uh, and it kind of reflected a bit early on um, with it being a slow start. I think U of T was up uh, in in the first quarter for a little bit, um, but you know Ottawa really got into gear, and you know they were doing it both offensively, um, like we've seen, they have the ability to do it both in the air and on the ground. Um, another brilliant day for O'Day, finishing with 131 yards on 20 carries, one touchdown, and then uh, I'm finally I'm. I'm sorry, Eddie. I'm jumping ship on the Butner Bittner debate, and I'm going fully with Sawyer Bittner at two. <laughs> Betrayal I, from everywhere. I appreciate the Shakespeare uh, reference there, um, but you know Sawyer. I'll just call him having another nice day for himself. 19 of 33 for 405 and four touchdowns, no picks. And you know it was it, it was really interesting. Was it kind of looked like they were trying. They were really trying to air it out at times. Like even in the third, fourth quarter when they had kind of built up their lead, they just, I don't know if they were trying to prove a point, maybe like they were targeting Matheson a lot. I'm not too sure what 
that was all about. I could see them trying to sort of prove to themselves that they can win games strictly off their passing attack. Because mm. you remember, Bittner or Butner, however you want to call it, it doesn't <laughs> really matter. This is a first-year guy. He's his first year playing for Ottawa. So uh, he's a little older, right, because he came from the CJFL. Mm. But in terms of um, really trying to find out what they have in him, can he be a guy who can single-handedly win them games if they can't run the ball? You know, a game where they have a chance to... to to find out for themselves and also give him confidence in himself that he can do it. Certainly seems like he can, based on what he showed against Carlton. And, I mean, he was throwing it up and finding his favorite target, Carter Matheson, quite yeah. a few times today. Absolutely. I mean, you know... It, Nine times, in fact, to the <laughs> tune of 258 <laughs> yards and three touchdowns. You know, I really took... Like, so I was, I was so stoked going to see this game because, like, Ottawa has been, like, one of my favorite teams all year. They just... They're so much fun to watch. And getting to see them live was really cool. Um, Carter's a big dude. Like, yeah. I don't know his exact height or anything like that, but there's times where they're just, they're just, you know, they're letting him just run wild. And Bittner's just saying, all right, all right, boss. All right, boss. I'm going to throw it up for you. Come down with it. And like more times than not, he is, um, you know, for Ottawa though. And you could really see it, um, with the coaching staff on the sideline, a big issue with them still is the penalties. Um, they racked up, what was it? I think it was 17 in this game. Yeah, 17 to the tune of 202 yards. So, I mean, we've talked all year that uh, Toronto's not terrible. Like, there's some really interesting things on this team. And defensively, even uh, more so, despite giving up a 53-burger. But for Ottawa, when you can give up 202 penalties, obviously those come in dip, not just offensively, but those are, you know, d dispersed throughout the different um, facets of the game and still blow a team away like this. Like, obviously that's not good, but... <laughs> Well, no, it shows, I mean, just how dynamic they are offensively, yeah. right? I mean, they have a good defense, but it's their offense that is now proving to be able to carry the team, both passing and on the ground. So, absolutely, that, that bodes well for Ottawa, right? I mean, if you are doing great things offensively, you know, despite having all these penalty yards, then that's something you can clean up. Like, yeah. penalties are always something you can clean up. If you're, if you're putting up 17 penalties for 202 yards... <laughs> You can reasonably get that down to like twelve penalties for 120 yards, yeah. and even that's still not good. No, but, I, you know, there's a lot of room to improve there, and that's um, it's better than having to you know need to improve a lot in the passing or running game because that's a little harder. No, totally. Um, but you know, talking go, let's, going back to um, going back to uh, you know Ottawa's um, offense, and you know, for two offensive linemen, and you do this much better than I do. We we generally talk, we still don't, we don't give as much shine to the hoggies as, as you know one might expect from two former offensive linemen, but I, and not to make this completely about Ottawa because you know U of T's defensive line has shown a lot of promise, particularly um, from number four Malcolm Campbell, who was pretty quiet in this on this game. And you know we've talked about there's been games where maybe the stats don't really show he had a good game, but he was getting pressures, knocking down the quarterback, just making a lot of noise. He's, then he's had games where he's filling up the stat sheet, but also has his presence. This game, and especially given that Ottawa was passing quite a bit, it really looked like they did a really good job of containing him out there on the edge. Yeah, well, they have a pretty impressive couple of tackles. Uh, the right tackle, Thomas Rollins, is, I want to say he's a fourth or fifth year guy. He's hes a little older, I think fourth. And, um, you know, he's hes a good player. Like, he's massive. He's 6'8". He's like, I think he's in like the 320, 330 range. Mm. Big dude. And he moves well, and he's pretty technical. So, I mean, he's, he's been someone who's kind of caught my eye at times this year as being 
perhaps in the all-star discussion. I mean, you, you could you could make a very strong case that he's a second teamer. There are a lot of good tackles in this conference. We've we you know, we've spoken about how how deep this conference mm-hmm. can be at offensive line at times. Um and and you know, the surprising player is Zachary Palejos, their left tackle, and he's a first year guy. And I don't know, there aren't a lot of first year offensive linemen who come in and impress you. He's one of them. And especially on a team that has so much success, sometimes you see maybe on a weaker team, you know. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is this is a, this is a good team. Their offensive line, you know, over the last few years has left something to be desired. But this year they are doing a very good job. And mm. it's showing. I mean, Dawson O'Day is a great back, but great backs don't run for a ton of yards if their offensive line isn't blocking up well. And True. their passing game was, you know, very, very productive. You don't get deep passing if you don't have decent protection. So... I you know I think the proof is in the pudding that their offensive line is playing quite well and uh, certainly is not holding this team back. No, uh, you're absolutely right. And you know, given um, the hit we saw Bittner take against Carlton, he obviously played the whole game, but he was favoring that right shoulder. He was clean in the pocket for quite a, uh, most of the game. But you know, to UFT's credit, with the way Ottawa was airing it out, they were getting their licks in. You know. Any chance they had, they're rallying to the ball, and these are the kind of things that, like, in a team that may not might not be as strong right now, those like those small indicators that at least show you that there's there's something there, there's uh, some kind of unity on the team. When you see, like, um, you know, I, I feel like I saw Mac do this a lot when in, in their game against Queens, where you know they're bringing guys down, but you're seeing all those jerseys just flood to the ball carrier. That type of mentality that a good DC instills in his guys of rally, rally, rally. Like play is not done until. That whistle is blown, and so not, they were doing that, but they were laying big hits. Um, but, you know, when we talk about big hits uh, amongst these two teams, um, Luke Grease, I mean, we talked about this guy quite a bit. I mean, he's a baller. I don't think I've come across a player, perhaps at any level of football or maybe even any sport, whose name is so just poetic to the way they play because he is a greasy dude and that's like i don't mean any shot by saying that there's no pile up that if the whistle hasn't blown he's not just running full steam and putting his nose into which you know i'm sure when you play against it's you know it's the most frustrating thing if you're cheering against that type of player when he's on your side or if you're just impartial enjoying the game it's beautiful to watch he's a great player and exactly he's playing safety the way you know sort of in a throwback manner the way it's meant to be played if you're one of those kind of old school guys who who thinks that there's a way that you have to play the position he hits people hard the john lynch uh, the john lynch yeah exactly he's he's undercutting balls you know when he can in the passing game but he's not Passing up big hits. No, he's not. He's a nasty dude, yeah. and it's and it's a DB group that played very well, containing the quarterbacks of U of T effectively. Yeah. Obviously, no Clay Kiera this game, uh, Connor Ennis, and then eventually Vince uh, Luchasano. Yeah, that. Uh, I, it didn't look. I, I don't remember seeing like a particular hit. Ennis went down. You could kind of see him laboring for a few plays, trying to tough it out. Um, and you know, there were some nice things we saw from Ennis against Windsor last week. But, you know, if you're U of T, by the time you're down to your third-string quarterback, I mean, and he, I believe uh, Luchisano's a first-year guy. I'm sure going into this year he wasn't maybe expecting much run with the team uh, in games. But uh, it's it's not promising when you get down to there. You know, the, the run game for U of T still hasn't quite found its way. Um, you know, Adam Williams hadn't had himself a touchdown. He's... I guess we can call him their number one back. Yeah, and you know what? For U of T, this is their most successful game running the ball. And yeah. that's sadly like that. 
I mean, again, very young offensive line and experienced. Not one of the better units in the league. But Adam Williams did have 50 yards on the ground. So, you know, there's that. Max uh, Gamma had uh, five attempts for 27 yards. So, and a touchdown. Both both Williams and Gamma had a touchdown. So, there's that. I mean, that's that's something. And that's, you know, a little bit perhaps better than they've shown yet this year. Who knows? There's lots of room to improve there. Their defense is what's carried them. But Ottawa's defense did a very nice job against Toronto today. I mean, they had about 200 yards passing, but... You know, Luke French had that great interception, mm-hmm. um, and that was that was that was an impressive play on his part. So, you know, another guy who we haven't spoken about as much this year in that great Ottawa DB core because you, know, you just have Jamie Harry making plays every game. You have Luke Grease making plays every game. Yeah, Cranston. You have, you have Cranston doing great yeah. stuff. So, I mean, a very good unit as a whole for yeah. Ottawa. Uh, showed it again. U of T has to throw the ball to win, and they couldn't throw the ball all that effectively. So, there's that. That that's kind of an interesting note. But overall, not really all that interesting a game yeah. outside of the outstanding <laughs> performance by Carter Matheson. 258 yards through the air, three touchdowns, nine receptions, and just a ton of targets, right? Yeah. They were feeding him. They were, yeah, it, it, was, it, it almost got to the point where I was – it seemed strange because, like I said, it was even at points in the game where you don't necessarily see teams – when you're up that big, still looking for the big plays in the air, but they were still going for it. But you know they have such a dynamic running back too that like he that uh, you know you can be busting off just as big plays on the ground if you're Ottawa uh, as you can going for it in the air. So I mean at this, I mean I, I at this in this type of game for Ottawa coming down the stretch, I don't blame them if they're trying to tinker a little bit. It might maybe for some people it rubs them the wrong way if you're doing that in a game. Um, but this team's this team's trying to win, you know. You only have so many games in a year. Yeah. You really can't hold it against a team for trying new things and and uh, and and tinkering, as you said. Yeah. In in these games, right? Because okay, if you have a hundred games and you're blowing someone out, you know. Sure. Be be kind. You know what I mean? Don't don't be Chill a dick about it. it. <laughs> but but yeah, exactly. I mean, eight games. Yeah. Eight regular. You got to get it right, and you got to get it right quick. This is a guy who came in partway through the year. He needs time to yeah. to get a chance to air it out. So. Mm. Live bullets are the only way to really prepare someone for the playoffs, and Ottawa is poised to make a playoff run, as you said. Western next week, Ottawa has them at home. This will very likely be a game that determines the number one seeding. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because, you know, and not to get too off track, we were looking ahead to week nine with that western Laurier matchup saying that was what was going to determine the first seed, and... Who would have thought it was going to be Ottawa Western in Week Eight? Uh, figure uh, to determine that. So I mean, it's been such a wild year. In the and that way. that Week Nine game will be a battle because Laurier has, yep. you know, their win this week notwithstanding, they have dug themselves a hole. Absolutely. So, um, lots of interesting stuff there. We'll we'll get to that yep. a little bit more later. The the last uh, last point I'll make on uh, for Ottawa in this game, uh, Bryce Vieira was still out after we saw him leave in the Panda game. Um, but speaking with uh, a friend, I I know. Uh, with Ottawa, he says that they are confident that he might not be back for Western, um, but they're confident he will be back for playoffs at the least. And so, I mean, and that's so important, oh right? Because in terms yeah. of in terms of a dynamic weapon in the run or the passing game, I mean, he's, you know, Dawson O'Day has proven to be a very capable running back on the ground, but so is Vieira. Yeah. And in terms of people who can do both that and pass, Massive. sorry, uh, 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 catch receive, balls, yeah. receive in this case, uh, you know, have an effect in the passing game. Vera is their most dynamic player in that respect. So uh, hopefully he's back for the Western game because that, that'd be a huge weapon for them to be without. And certainly hopefully he's back for a long playoff run. Yeah. Um, and so as we mentioned a few times, Ottawa next week at home taking on Western and what's, you know, 
at, at this point, the biggest game of the year. Um, and uh, for UFT, they get a chance to play spoiler on the road, uh, going to visit Guelph. Um, I haven't looked over all the possible outcomes, but I'm pretty sure if Guelph drops this one to UFT, aside from the massive hole in my heart, it will leave. It could very well leave Guelph out of the playoff picture, even though that's already a tough task for them to achieve. Um, well, Guelph is playing a lot of people close. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're sort of playing up to and down to competition this year, unfortunately. So it's not sort of beyond the pale that they find themselves in a tight game. And U of T is a well-coached team, and their players have a lot of heart. So in terms of, you know, as you said, in terms of them rallying to the ball and being, uh, you know, just uh, have a never-say-die attitude, yeah. we're going to see that. Yeah. Anything's possible, baby. Um, not betting on it. But, hey, you know what? We've seen we've seen some strange outcomes so far this year, so we'll have to keep our eyes open for that one, um, if anything, just because of the implications that has for Guelph. But uh, that wraps up that one. Let's move on. Windsor and Western. Final score in this one, the Western blackout game. Western 66, Windsor 14. Um, and, and just going back to our preview of this game last week, you know, we didn't expect Windsor to win or even make this close necessarily, but there were some things we were hoping that – they might be able to show the league um, not just about their own capabilities, perhaps for the future. Similarly, how we talked with UFT that while, you know, some of the things you see in these games might not pay dividends right now, there are indicators that this team is trajecting in the, uh, or is, is moving in the right direction. We didn't really, this was, this was just an all Western day. All it, Western it, everything. it was, there were a couple of asterisks uh, or a couple of points that I should make on Windsor's defense. There were a couple of good plays that resulted in interceptions for them. We'll get to that. But in terms of Windsor doing something interesting offensively, uh, perhaps with the intent of, of trying to win the game, but even maybe just setting stuff up for, you know, following weeks. I mean, in terms of establishing tendencies that they'll then strategically break in, in future weeks or you know, trying to trap defensive mm. coordinators into spending all their time preparing for different formations. We didn't see that. We It was a very vanilla game from Windsor, and I guess, you know, in a way, why would you waste really interesting offensive game plan stuff on a game that you're, you're not going to win? You're never going to win. So, uh, <laughs> I, I don't disagree with that, but just the It the sounds harsh. It, it just, sounds harsh. Oh. Uh, but in reality, no, that's that's the truth. And uh, Windsor did have a couple of really nice plays defensively. Uh, Daniel Metcalf had an interception on Chris Merchant. That was a really wacky coverage. Uh, he had a really nice day himself, Metcalf, with with ten total tackles, two forced fumbles, two forced fumbles, Ooh. yeah, and the interception uh, that he took for sixty four yards and, and set up Windsor's um, uh, one of Windsor's scoring drives. So that was that was impressive. Um, it was a really weird really weird coverage. I mean, they had the half lined up on the Western receiver to the boundary side, the slot receiver. The half then bailed, getting into sort of not even all that deep zone coverage. And then the Will, Metcalf, had to run out underneath it. Mm. And he did get underneath the route, but it was just like, it was very strange. I mean, if Western, if, if Merch had just been, Chris Merchant, if he had just been a little bit quicker getting the ball out. Yeah. But again, like very weird. Probably not. Don't oh, really understand the coverage. Yeah. Didn't feel very sound. Not one that you're probably going to blame Merchant for. No, no, I don't really blame him for either of the interceptions. You could blame him for this, but uh, not really. It wasn't. It wasn't an egregious pick. It was just yeah. whatever. The second interception was by uh, Danar Facey, and this was just a beautiful, beautiful mm. play. I mean, he 
he elevated, he high pointed, and it was a one handed pick. So, in terms of you know making an incredibly athletic play on the ball to get the interception, I thought Merchant threw the ball in the right spot. I mean, maybe you could have led the receiver a little more. Excuse me. Maybe you could have led the receiver a little bit more. But in terms of putting it in a place where the DB should not have had any chance to make that interception, he did that. Yeah. But the DB had a chance because he's got a good vert and he knows how to stretch his arm to make a one-handed pick. So that was impressive. Um, outside of that, Windsor's defense didn't show you a ton. Obviously, the forced fumbles by Metcalf were were nice. Uh, I didn't even remember seeing them. They must have come a little bit later in the game. Uh, I, I really couldn't watch the game after the first half. Well, that's where all the action happened. That's where a lot of the action happened. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on the western side of the ball, outside of those two interceptions, Merchant was throwing it all over the field. Looked good. Western looked sharp. Western looked sharp. Uh, but the story for them the, the is story, the passing game. The story of the game is not the passing game. It's the running game where yeah. they had, I think they had 480 yards running on the day. For, sorry, 493. I don't want to shortchange them. <laughs> good for an average of 11.7 in attempts. God damn. And good for, and I think this is true, an OUA record game by Cedric Joseph on the ground. All in the first half, 17 yeah. attempts, 355 yards, an average of 20.9 per rush for three touchdowns. That's wild. Take that in. That's oh insane. God. Like that's in r- one half of football. In case that wasn't clear enough, in one half of football. And you know, because it, it's it's funny because I I initially heard that it was the Western record, um, but I you know I'm I'm it makes sense as the OUA record because like I don't know what kind of coach. I mean, I get that it's a blowout and you don't want to rub you know your uh, you know rub your success in the other team's face. But when you have a player, if, if it were the case that it was only the Western record and he could still get the OUA, you'd think that you'd be like, okay, let's give him a couple touches so he can get to that mark. Obviously, like, you know, that, I mean, that aside, it's just an unbelievable, like, individual performance. Yeah, and there were three extremely long runs. I mean, it kind of looked, for the first quarter or so, maybe not even the, the entire first quarter, Cedric was just going to have sort of 10, 15, 20-yard gains Every other time yeah. he touches the ball, but then after you know a couple of of uh, of well blocked plays and not even perfectly blocked plays, mind you, he 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 ripped off a ninety yarder, like a sixty something yarder, and then another sixty seventy yarder. And on those big ones, like it, he just kind of went for a run, you know, like it was just yeah, they might not have been perfectly blocked, but it didn't look like it was, he. It was pretty well blocked. It was pretty darn well blocked, and he just kind of. Oh, there's the hole. Oh, you know, there's the end zone. Touchdown. Baby. When you're routinely seeing 10, 15-yard runs, that's usually the offensive line. Mm. When you're seeing 90-yard runs or 60-yard runs, that's the offensive line and the receivers. And the receivers did a very nice job. They were relentless in their downfield blocking. So that was very impressive. The offensive line was very impressive. We saw Western do something a little bit different with their offensive line where they put in the second quarter, I think, Dave Brown, their left tackle, at right guard. Uh, very versatile offensive lineman, you know, an all-Canadian at left tackle and, you know, extremely effective at guard as well. I don't know. They're just playing around with combinations or what. You know, it's this is not a uh, – obviously, this game was not close at this point. So, they were uh, experimenting with that there and to great effect. Uh, you know, two of uh, Cedric Joseph's long runs, uh, the two sort of 60-70 yarders, were on inside zone. So – when you can do that on inside zone, <laughs> yeah. that, you know that's that's it's just well blocked. And Cedric, you know, he played a great game. Like this was this was him. This wasn't the blocking and the receivers blocking. 
this was Cedric Joseph with those things. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's an incredible back, obviously one of the best in the country. We all knew that based on his, his performance in the playoff run last year. But just in case you wanted a reminder, uh, he, uh, he's very good. Yeah, and, and what, what really impresses me, you, you mentioned the blocking of the receivers. In, in a game like this, it, it, it'd be so easy for, you know, a receiver on just any given run play, uh, particularly, obviously, if it's going away from their side of the field. When you're up big, you know that Windsor's not coming back. It's easy to just take a playoff, you know what I mean? Like, you not literally just stand there, do nothing, but don't necessarily give it your all. And, and not that we need any more indicators to know how good this Western team is, but I love seeing those type of um, those type of plays when it's like, yeah, like it's 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 a the the, the game was out vastly out of reach, but you still had guys every single play doing their part. You know the the classic New England Patriots, the Bill Belichick, just do your job every single play. And on top of that, uh, only eight penalties. Yeah, you know? that, and that's and that's another, great to see too. Because uh, another thing that can kind of slip in a game like this where you're thinking. You know, just maybe you start being a little sloppy, but none of that's happening for this team. Um, no, yeah. and, and somewhere else that that showed up was on a, um, I don't know if you, you wouldn't call it an onside kick uh, that Windsor had after their first uh, safety that they conceded, but it, it sort of was because it was a moonshot kick. So it was about, it probably got mm, maybe um, 25, 30 yards downfield from where it was kicked, but it was on an angle towards the opposite sideline and just... Everyone is is playing their best football when you could tell nobody on Western was fooled. Uh, I think it was Antonio Valvano who ended up fielding that that kickoff successfully. And, you know, if you're on the opposite side of the field, you're sort of thinking about who you're blocking. You might not be looking at the ball. You might not be sort of ready for that. They were ready for that. So that was good. Uh, Western also tried an onside kick at one point in the game. Didn't work. But, you know, just... You yeah. might as well, you know what? Again, you have to rep these things. You have exactly. to rep them in games and yeah. show people that you'll do it at any time so that they respect it. Yeah, keep you on your to on their toes. Yeah, Windsor also had a fake punt attempt. That did not go very well. <laughs> the punter sort of lost grip of the ball mid, you know, throw and and the ball ended up going straight up in the air, so that set up a short drive. There were a couple nice Western touchdowns to Harry McMaster, one of Western's outstanding receivers. Uh, I, I think you would say their best guy. He's a yeah. fifth-year guy. He's very veteran. You know, was at the CFL camp last year uh, in Edmonton. And he had, you know, he had, there was a receiver screenplay that he had uh, where he just, he, he broke some poor DB's ankles. I don't remember who it was, but it was, it was gross. And he ran that in for a touchdown. And then another one where he's sort of running, uh, I think they call it a climb route at Western. I don't know. It sort of, it sort of looks like a, almost like a banana post. Uh, and when I say that, I mean, just like sort of a rounded off to post oh, okay. to the inside, to the inside. To the inside. So, right, right. Uh, the, you know, they, they run their boundary receiver across the formation on a dig and then you know the the boundary side db kind of is playing that low then all the receiver has to do is kind of get on top of his guy and and uh and sort of outrun him to right. the uh the, the, the side of the field that's been vacated which he did mm -hmm. and uh that was good for a nice long touchdown for him so western was effective uh in all phases of the game and defensively Frazier Sobic had a really nice day. There were a lot of people for Western who had really nice days. The whole defensive line, really. You know, this Windsor offensive line is improved and improving. And, you know, a unit that, that might not get all the credit it's due because it did start the year off pretty shaky, but is getting better every week. Western's defensive line was a problem for them. Yeah. Um, going back, Frazier Sobic, who had the really nice day, you know, he had a sack. 
uh, about f- four and a half tackles. It says here, the stat sheet's incorrect. He did force a fumble. That was one of the big plays early on in the game that sort of zapped a little bit of Windsor's momentum. Uh, it was uh, Gerard scrambling downfield, just trying to make a play. Fraser Sobic in pursuit, punches the ball out from behind. Very nice kind of heady football play. You know, a heady football player, right? He does. He yeah. does a lot of things very smart. He had a great tackle for a loss that, you know, here they show him having a sack and a tackle for a loss. And usually when you see that on the score sheet, that's just a sack right. that they're also co-listing as, as a, tackle a tackle for a loss. loss yeah. He had other tackles for losses in this game. So this stat sheet's just a little bit um, inaccurate in that in that sense. But, yeah, no, Western looked good all over the place. They shut down the passing game. There was really nothing going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh Overall, just a dominant performance and a great rebound performance. It showed, you know, even though this was a weaker opponent, they were not taking them for granted. They weren't taking, as you said, any plays off. Yeah. So kudos to Western. Fantastic stuff. I mean, good to see they, they brought that intensity because they're going to have to bring that next week in Ooh. Ottawa, oh my God. playing the University of Ottawa for, as we've said before, probably a game that determines the number one seed in this conference. It, it might it might end up not, but yeah. It very well could. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, oof, that's 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 a game to watch if you're gonna watch one game. Um, and and as well for Western, when you look that sharp with those jerseys, you gotta play damn nice. That might be those might be my favorite jerseys I've seen this year. That's I love that combo. That dark, the dark, the black with that dark purple. Ooh, yeah, massive. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. Massive, that massive. or maybe when Laurier did Laurier did for the Battle of Waterloo game. It was those like. Those heavy, the heavy yellows. I forget what it was, but that was that's definitely up there. Maybe we'll do a jersey ranking at some point. <laughs> There's a couple of like rankings we've thrown out that we're gonna do that. I don't think we've we've pulled through on, but maybe this one will finally pull the trigger on. Yeah, who knows? But um, we'll see if we get to it. Yeah. Uh, Windsor obviously looking to bounce back um, when they take on Laurier next week in uh, Kitchener, which, as we said, with U of T, not a game they're favored in, but an an awesome chance to play spoiler. Um, if he can rally the troops and I, I hope, I hope, I hope in Windsor, they're not just, I hope they're not down on themselves for this one. It's, 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 it's probably, it's what you, this can happen. This can happen when you walk into TD. You have to know that this is a reasonable possibility that something, you know, a blowout like this can happen. And, uh, you know, Windsor, they have a lot of positive momentum as a program. That's amazing. So hopefully they can just, they can not let any of that slide. You know, we've seen programs who've been looking better and then play western uh sort of lose some of their momentum i think we saw that with with waterloo specifically good call Um, so hopefully hopefully windsor can bounce back and yeah uh, and yeah just recapture some of that momentum that they've that they've had this year yeah um we still love you windsor no matter what happens uh go lancers and uh of course western making the long trip out to ottawa to take on the ggs I, I I'll probably say it again at some point in this episode. You can't miss this game. It's, uh, I mean, it it could disappoint. It, I mean, you could. It could. Well, you, you you could miss it, but you shouldn't. You shouldn't. And it, it could disappoint. It, it, probably won't. But it probably won't. And I'm crossing all fingers, all toes, and anything I can possibly cross on my body. This one is the game that I am hoping it will be. Um, but yeah, we'll call that a wrap on on Western and Windsor, and uh, move on to the next one to the Friday games now. So the first game, Friday, the 11 a.m. start, Queens-Mac. Mac taking this one 27-24. Um, man, like this – well, I mean, I guess toss-up between this and the Laurier-Carlton game in terms of, like, implications down the line. But this was fun, fun game. Very fun game. This was a classic. 
McMaster played, I mean, uh, a much more complete game than we've seen them play so far this year. Queens, I mean, they're playing great every week at this point. They're, they're playing complete football as well, um, or as best as Queens can. You know, they obviously they don't have the most robust run game from week to week, uh, and this, this game was uh, no exception, but they did pass the ball extremely effectively. Uh, Mac, coming off a of bye week, and without Coach Greg Knox, uh, as that, That's what, whatever yeah. whatever that situation is, as that sorts out. Uh, so McMaster, you know, facing some adversity, and uh, they 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 really played up to the task. Andreas Duick had an incredible game. Like, okay, he had no no touchdowns and one interception, but 358 yards passing, and that interception was not his fault. That popped out of a receiver's hands. Yeah, and the Queens DB made. I mean, just a, a miraculous play on the ball to come up with that. That was Oliver McKenzie. Uh, I think he's a half or maybe he's – no, I think he's a half. Uh, pretty sure. And yeah. so there, there was that. That was incredible. But overall, I mean, just a very fun game to watch. And yeah. one of the big things that cannot be overlooked for this McMaster offense is the return of Justice Allen. Oh, boy. Justice Allen is a baller. He had a great day. Uh, on the ground, he had – it says he has one carry for six yards. There was another one that was called back on holding. Uh, and then through the air, he had seven catches for 93 yards. There's and, a, and a hurdle. And a hurdle. That can't go <laughs> without being stated. Correct. <laughs> that doesn't show up on the stat sheet, but it was huge. Uh, they were throwing it out to him on screens a lot, on receiver yeah. screens, I mean, as, as a part of an RPO game, so where they're they're reading um, you a know, a Will end. or a Sam. Oh, oh. Or, sorry, yeah, yeah. a defensive end, yes, um, but, but, but less the defensive end in this case. And more the backers who right see if he steps up and exactly where they play in the coverage where does Mac have the statistical number advantage gotcha. and either throwing it or handing it off uh, in those instances so mm. uh, a very dynamic weapon Tommy Neal had a day shows here eight catches 161 yards what doesn't show up is how many of those were 50-50 kind of balls yeah. and Andreas Duick is playing with confidence. And that's wonderful to see because he's throwing it up to Tommy Neal, and Tommy Neal is coming down with them. Well, Not that, yeah. every ball was a contested ball, but at least a couple of them were like, can't knock the coverage. Yeah. It's just a great play on the, by the receiver. Well, well, we saw that a ton, uh, was it two or three weeks ago, when uh, our Max homecoming with U of T, when Neal probably, it was probably his best game of the day. I don't remember, or, or of the year, I don't remember all his stats. Um, but same situation, like, like connecting for big, uh, big, uh, you know, passes down the field. And similarly, we were talking with um, uh, Bittner and Matheson. And Neil's not necessarily as big a receiver as, as Matheson is, but same kind of trust of just saying, yeah, kind of, kind of backyard football, go deep, I'll hit you. And, you know, that kind of trust is massive. And, you know, bringing these pieces, some of these pieces like Allen back into the fold, um, obviously massive. But this is a Mac offense that is is starting to click at the you know the best time possible with playoffs looming right around the corner. Uh, clearly used that bye week uh, brilliantly to get themselves ready for this one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, they they were ready to go and they played a great game. Queens had I thought pretty good you know game plan and they played them effectively, limiting McMaster on the ground um, to you know just shy or maybe just over a hundred yards in total rushing. But that you know is. Um, not not Max' most efficient day. Jordan mm. Lyons had 16 attempts for 71 yards, good for a 4.4 average. He also had a touchdown on the day. That was a pretty short one, if I if I recall. And what you know, what I the big takeaway was just Max' offense is doing all the things 
that they couldn't do in the early going of the season. And, you know, they did it in relatively clutch time. At the very end, you know, Queens had a couple of opportunities. And really, I mean, Nate Hobbs played a, a brilliant game. Uh, 431 yards passing. Primarily two receivers catching the balls for Mac, Mateo Del Bracco and Richard Burden, because Chris Osikusi did not play in this game. That's a big note. Yeah. But Mateo Del Bracco and Richard Burden both had, you know, great days, 163 and 142 Del receiving Bra- each. Del Bracco's a guy where, man, he, I mean, he's probably not going to make it onto an all-star team just with the number of dope receivers in the league this year. But, like, he's been good, man. And I I, I hope we've been doing our fair share of, of you know, talking about his, his success he's had this year. You know, he's not in the top in receptions or in yards. I mean, I think he's up there for touchdowns. But, you know, O.C. Kusi's, you know, based on his name, he is the star. And, like, talent-wise, he is he is obviously a stud. But Del Bracco really has been, I feel like, stole the show uh, over the course of the season at, uh, from the receiver position. He, I mean, he's he's good. He really is. Uh, and, and Richard Burden has done a nice job as a mm-hmm. first-year guy who's coming. And this is his second sort of very big statistical game, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, Queens, we knew it would take some time with two new coordinators, one offensive, one defensive, and a lot of turnover on defense to really sort of start to play their best game. But, I mean, again, like, you would look at the stats and you would say, well, they didn't really contain the Mac offense that well. And Mac, you know, hasn't been an explosive offense, so Queens must have played a poor game defensively. That's just not the case. Justice Allen being back adds a dimension to this Mac offense that they've been sorely lacking. And the confidence in Andreas Duick to throw the ball downfield to Tommy Neald is another thing that, you know, they've been developing. But yeah. this is the first game against a high-quality opponent yeah. where you're you're really seeing that. So, uh, you know, hats off to both these teams for the, the game they played. Unfortunate for Queens. They're playing their best football later in the year, and they're just getting so close. You know, this game and the Western game could have both gone the other way for them and they'd yeah. be sitting very pretty with their record but uh, unfortunately they they're now in a very tough spot uh, I wanted to also highlight Mitch Garland who had just a brilliant play on the ball where uh, he just stole it from a receiver stripped the receiver and then recovered the ball himself mm. I mean awesome like just one of those plays where you're like yep that's obviously something they've been working on a lot in practice because you know, he he did that with uh, with KG to to Curly, I think, was it or? Sorry, this is Queens. So. No, no, but I mean, he's done like we've seen him do. Oh, this he kind did of that thing. to Curly too. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, I don't remember, but but just I mean, he's a very good player. Yeah. Mac has a very good DBs. Noah Hallett also had a very impressive day. Um, you know, Queens had no passing touchdowns from uh, from Nate Hobbs on the day. Noah Hallett broke up at least a couple of them and uh, paid the price. It looked like he. Might have hurt his shoulder on one of them, but just overall a brilliant, uh, brilliant day by the McMaster DBs. Ben Cross also had an interception on the day, if I'm not mistaken. I believe, yeah, I think that's. Uh, let's see. Sorry, it says Nolan Putt here. Ben Cross also had a pretty good day. Uh, Nolan Putt had the interception, mm. and uh, yeah, I mean, it's a MAC defense that 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 sort of does go by the bend don't break at this point yeah. because again this isn't the best mac mac defense we've ever seen this isn't you know their classic defense where they have a great front and great dbs their front is 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 passable it's doing a good job no knocks on them that you know but it's not as experienced it's it's certainly not as good as some of the fronts in years past 
this DB group is outstanding, possibly the best in the league. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's between them and Ottawa in terms of, you know, the, the nexus of production and stuff that you sort of that's intangible. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, hats off to them. And, uh, you know, talking but talking about Max uh, D-line, big sack, I, I think, which sealed the game for them um, in the fourth by uh, – I apologies for mispronunciation, Dawson uh, Bordage. Yeah, Bordages, I think. Yeah, um, just right through the middle. And, you know, uh, free run at Hobbs ultimately, but, I mean, Hobbs isn't necessarily an easy guy to take down. He's a big dude. Um, so just a clutch play there. Maybe not clutch, but just a, a big play late. Um, sealing the game for Mac. And, and like we said, I mean, this is a game that it just th- that second tier in the OUA is just, as we've kind of used the analogy, just a massive game of musical chairs. So, you know, wins are important, but wins against teams when tie break scenarios may very well be the determining factor of who makes it in, who ma- who doesn't make it, um, is going to be massive um, for obviously both these teams. And, and talking about Mac's offense again, one of the things – Maybe I just haven't been watching them as, um, you know, astute uh, um, in some of their other games. But I don't know if this is a project getting a guy like Justice Allen back. But it seems like they were just running concepts that we weren't really seeing uh, with, you know, Allen coming across the formation, um, trying to get Queens in some uh, perhaps unfavorable uh, coverages to their own benefit, which I thought they took advantage of uh, brilliantly. Um, as well as seeing uh, Duick actually looking, looking like they had a couple of design runs for him. They did, and they also brought in Liam Putt, uh, the brother of Nolan Putt, and mm-hmm. the transfer from Windsor in the early second half where they had two quarterback design runs with him. Uh, they kind of snuck that in. I don't know. Like, I, you know, it didn't, it didn't yield them much. They had to punt. Uh, it was a two and out. But, you know, kind of an interesting thing to do to see if they have something there and something they gave a try to. So, yeah, there were some Duick design runs. This is a big athletic guy. Like, Duick is an impressive athlete for mm. a quarterback. He's obviously not Trey Ford. Uh, or even Theo. Or Theo, but he was very effective in his running. Yeah. So, only a couple, um, but absolutely something that was a, a bit different. And, yeah, as you were alluding to, Justice Allen is the, the kind of guy who they're going to make a focal point in their offense. Really, yeah. Jordan Lyons, Justice Allen, and Tommy Neald are their, their triplets in terms of guys who can make really big plays. Um, they might not have the depth as some of the other teams offensively. As we, we've talked about some of the receiving cores, um, whether it's you know Waterloo, Ottawa, um, you know a Western. I'm sure this Carlton. Car- Carlton, yeah. Um, but, the, you know, you mentioned those names. Uh, Neil Lyons and uh, Allen, and those are you know that that's high top end to be able to have in in, in your offensive arsenal. So I mean, obviously that's a, that's a very effective way of of moving the ball when you just have ballers. It sure is. That helps. Yeah. Um. You know, for Mac, I, I, I guess one of the last things I'll just comment on. It's interesting. It'll be really interesting them and them and Guelph. It'll be really interesting when everything shakes down, um, and we see how the records finally played out. What their point differential will be, in like across their season, because they don't necessarily win games big, they don't lose them big, so it's just, it's oh. it's a little bit skewed because Guelph doesn't play Western in the regular season this true, year, true. so that's when you think about a game that you know Mac what was the final in that game like forty four to three, yeah, you mm-hmm. sort of have to take out Western, um, sure, yeah, yeah, 
out of that conversation. But I mean, across common opponents, though, the uh, the point differential would be an interesting thing to look at. Yeah. Um, so as as we mentioned for Queens, uh, this takes them into their bye, which I don't know how I feel about that a bye that late. I mean, it's almost it's almost too late. You gotta get that mid. I don't know. You know what's funny, and this is interesting. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but someone once said there was a period of like four years where the team with the week seven bye. So the the bye being the second last week of the regular week eight bye, but at, they played seven, seven games. games. Yeah, having the bye after that, there was a period of several years where the team that had that bye won the eights. So obviously Queens does not appear to be in that spot. Okay, <laughs> but no, but that that was a really interesting yeah. thing that happened. I think when when Guelph when you guys won, I thought you guys had it then. Mac yeah, did one right. year when they won it. Western did one year when we won it. Okay. Um, you know, all right, never mind. Yeah. I'll retract that statement. So, okay. no, it's funny because it, it is very late in the season. But you know what? Like, we're not playing that many games in the OUA. Yeah. So, it's not as though you're sort of really needing the bye. And this kind of helps give you uh, time to recover before playoffs. Again, Queens might not be in that situation where eh, they might be in a tough spot right now just given their, their schedule. Yeah, I mean, right now they're out of the playoff race, but only because they've the Guelph has played one less game than them. I mean, obviously, if Guelph um, wins this week, going to four and three, that just puts them in the standings ahead. Um, but right now, you have you know Guelph sitting in like fifth or sixth. I forget at three and three, Queens at three and four. Even though they beat Guelph, um, but for Mac um, riding off of this game, they're going to be traveling to play Waterloo next week. Which oh my goodness, Waterloo coming off the Thanksgiving bye, like you know they had and um, and Guelph had. And, and York as well. And York, that's yeah. right. So, uh, obviously, this is going to be an enormous game, Waterloo, with that that mini slide, yeah. Western and York being the, the losses that they took. One expected, one not so much expected. True. This is, it's do or die for them. They have they have two games remaining, Waterloo does. So, yeah. And you have Max sitting at, in third right now at four and two. Uh, Car, uh, pardon me, a Waterloo at fifth at three and three. So you know that's an that's an easy switch if that's a Waterloo win next w- next week. Correct, and, a very crucial possible tiebreaker. And with uh, you know Ottawa playing Western, if they drop that one and Mac picks up the win, uh, I mean just it's 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 funny thinking how how slow Mac started. Kind of similar with with Ottawa. They're, I guess both with them not solidifying the quarterback position at the start of the season. It just looked like it was going to be a little slow start for the, a bit of a slow start, but you know, they're peaking and, and just hitting on all cylinders at the right time at the, you know, yeah. this is when you need it. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, um, I guess that'll wrap up with that one. Let's move on to our last game, Carlton and Laurier final score in this one, Laurier 37 Carlton 31. This game was in Ottawa. So Laurier making the long trip for the one o'clock start on Friday, Hopefully they were there safe and soundly on Thursday early enough and got their rest and everything. Um, but like we said, the Thursday games this week were some individual accolades and a uh, couple big blowouts. Friday following the Mac Queens game, this one followed suit being another back and forth battle. Yeah, this was a wild game and there were so many changes of lead in this game. It was truly a very back and forth game at any given point. You know, you might think Carlton's definitely got this in the bag or Laurier because the momentum swung so substantially all over the place. Yeah, and I think the first thing that needs to be noted about this game was that Laurier started at quarterback Connor Carousello. Yeah, his first year of playing, he was there last year at Laurier, so he's a second-year guy. Yeah. But a very bold decision by 
the Laurier coaches in a game that is a must-win game for them. That, yeah. This would have been a you know a semifinal nail in the coffin. Obviously, not the last week of the season, but uh, I don't think they would have been able to make the playoffs if they were four and or, uh, if they if they got to four and four. Uh, given just sort of the way the tiebreakers would have shaken out. So yeah. they started Connor Carousello. Obviously, Tristan Arndt had a game last week where he threw six interceptions. Having watched the game, it's hard to put many, if any of them, yeah. on Arndt. Which makes this decision even, even bolder. Even, even bolder. Because yeah. if you were just looking at the statue, you would have said, sure, get it's, it. a, it's a no-brainer. Get yeah. him out of here. Like He's had a couple of statistically eh games, mm-hmm. and, and they're on a losing streak. Maybe they just need to change something. But if you're watching that game... You know, I was I was really not able to pin much on Arndt. So yeah. they put Connor Carousello in, uh, who in just, br- you know, brief time so far this year didn't look like he had, a, you know, like he, he wasn't really ready to go. I mean, I don't want to say he didn't have much going on for him, but he certainly against Mac when he was in, he threw, you know, a, one or two picks, but or I think he threw one, but then one got called back on a, on a silly uh, call and almost threw another. He just... Didn't look like he was ready to do it. Didn't look like he put up the type of game he put up in this one for sure. Sure didn't. He proved no. me extremely wrong and uh, vindicated the Laurier coaching staff because this was a great game <laughs> yeah. by him. 21 uh, completions on 31 attempts for mm. 453 yards Woo! and four touchdowns. One interception. That was kind of an interesting one. He may have been hit while he was throwing it. It was kind of a wobbly one. Mm. Jay Dearborn, uh, the safety fifth-year guy from... Carlton undercut it, and that was a nice play by him. But, you know, I thought he played a very effective day, and his his weapons absolutely played a great game for him. Uh, Brenton Hall, Nick Peterman, Eson Hamilton, Curly Giddens Jr., who, you know, was the fourth, you know, in terms of receiving yardage in the game. So just to give you a bit of a sense of how well the rest of those guys played, they were all highly impactful. Yeah. Uh, Touchdowns going to Brenton Hall, Eson Hamilton, one to Curligans, and one to Ente Guavin. The uh, the commentators have have had a real tough time with that last name, <laughs> Eguavan. It's Iguavan. There okay? you go. So just in case anyone's listening, I had a teammate out in Saskatchewan whose uh, whose last name was Iguavan. So I've heard it from uh, from, from a pro, <laughs> someone who knows how to say it. Yeah. Um, on the other side of the uh, other side of the ball, or should I say, for for Carlton with their pivot, Michael Aruda coming off of the Panda loss, um, twenty one thirty four, three hundred seventy three yards, three TDs, and two picks, which uh, you know prior to that Panda game would have been very uncharacteristic because now these are two back to back games where he's had multiple picks, and the first games that he's had picks in since their Week One matchup. Versus Western. Um, well, and it was really funny because there, there were some very interesting uh, acts of symmetry in this game that you've never seen before. Where, um, you know, Carlton threw a pick right after the very next play <laughs> after Laurier threw their pick, and then uh, there, you know, there were just there are big plays like that in this sort of very funny way where, you know, you had that that. That odd symmetry that you just don't usually see in football games yeah. where the, mo- the teams are like, hold my beer. I can do that. <laughs> so, so certain moments where it's like, wait, are, are both teams trying to, to just lose at this point or what's going on? Um, but you mentioned uh, Curly Gittens as, you know, uh, as someone who needs to be mentioned every game because he has such a big impact. And there's a couple other uh, situations we saw him in this game that we don't normally uh, normally see. But on his first reception of the game, uh, a lot of records actually set in this one for Laurier. Um, but for KGJ, um, with uh, 
or I can't recall if it was his first catch or one of the catches he had in the first quarter. He passed the great Steph Patasic, the OG, for the all-time uh, leader in uh, Golden Hawks receptions with 192. So you know, big ups to him. A guy we're gonna be seeing in the CFL very soon. I don't think anyone would really question that. Um, and you know, l- leaving his stamp in the record books for Laurier. So I mean. Like, awesome job. Like, big ups to KGJ. I mean, a fantastic career there. And he wasn't the only guy who broke records, or if not, sorry, not broke records, but is moving into elite company in terms of all-time positioning at Laurier. Also, Nathan Mesher. Yeah, Nathan Mesher, uh, before end up getting hurt in this one, if you didn't catch that one, but prior to uh, his injury, he moved into second all-time in career field goals um, at 49, and he had 11 points on the game, which moves him into third for Laurier with 260. So once again, hopefully, I mean, I don't have any notion of what, how severe the injury is going to be. But, you know, once again, a, a guy who's really put his stamp on Laurier football, you know, great to see. Yeah, and that was, he got injured on a, uh, what looked like a, a blocked punt. I guess it was a blocked punt. I don't know if he got injured and then it was uh, blocked. Yeah. Or it, I assume it was on the contact. Uh, John, Jonathan Edward, uh ran into him and, and blocked the punt, and that gave Laurier extremely short field position where they, they punched in a touchdown uh, to Nathan Carter, who had a quiet day, uh, wasn't sort of at his usual level of uh, effectiveness, and we can attribute that roundly to the, the Laurier defensive front and linebackers playing a good game, which they did. Absolutely. And, and I'll just jump in real quick on that. Just keeping with the records for Laurier, and you mentioning their D-line having a great game, Robbie Smith. You know, a guy that, once again, we're always mentioning when we're talking Laurier football, the standout defensive end for them, um, now moved. And he had a, his sack in the game. He's now in second place all-time Laurier sacks for 18 and a half. So, I mean, just brilliant day for these uh, individual performances. We talked, obviously, about um, what Joseph did at Western um, in London w- with that game, but a lot of these and the Hawks. Carter Matheson day, and, yeah, and the and Carter Matheson day as well, yeah, absolutely. A lot of a lot of big days around the OUA and the return of Justice Allen. So oof. now For- with Nathan Nathan Mesher being injured, that that really made uh, Laurier have to try some different things out, and uh, with with respect to kicking and punting, mm. they gave the punting duties to Curly Giddens. What can't he do? Uh, well, and it turns out he can't actually punt all that effectively. But he can run. But he can run. And on the very first punt that he has to punt, he decides he'll call his own number. Unclear if this is designed or this is just him seeing, hey, what's this silly punt formation, this punt cover formation that Carlton's running? Yeah. I can run by all these guys. Yeah. So he did. Made some guys miss and picked up, you know, Many more yards than he needed to get a first down. I want to say, you know, it was like 25 or 30. Uh, and, you know, just showing why he's such a dangerous weapon. He can do it all from any point on the field. Mm. Uh, and then the kicking duties, the place kicking duties, went to Nick Peterman, uh, the receiver, slot receiver for Laurier, who, uh, you know, had a, had a nice day in the air himself, four catches for 98 yards. Not the kicker that Nathan Mesher is. He missed a couple of them, and that was uh, – that really put Laurier in a bind and forced them eventually to go for it on some third downs because they just, I mean, he's not a kicker. He's yeah. a receiver. And for a game that finished with a Laurier win by only six points, I mean, that th- th- that could have been devastating. It absolutely yeah. could have been. It very <laughs> nearly was. So that was that was a very interesting thing to note. Hoping Nathan Mesher's back soon because he's a great player. They did bring the EMTs to the sideline, so there was mm. some serious concern. He was in a lot of distress. Yeah. Uh, he ended up not going with the EMTs, as far as I could tell from the broadcast. So, 
Uh, yeah, just hoping for the best for him. Obviously a great player. Another important Laurier player who was injured on the day was uh, Mario uh, Villamazar. So hopefully he's back soon. He's their, their sort of their top blocking fullback. You can also catch the ball, but he's he's a very impactful player for them in their run game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully he's, uh, he's fine and they have him back. Laurier is deep with fullbacks, but he is... The Clearly, guy. their number one guy. So, well, s- sticking with the Laurier run game, we already mentioned Nathan Carter having, you know, uh, a less than Nathan Carter esque day from what we've grown to expect, and Lavondre Gordon similarly. I mean, not you know, eighteen attempts, sixty eight yards, not going to net you the best average, but you know, they're obviously they they like to run the ball when they can. Um, no touchdowns, but a quieter day for them. And, it, and it, when we're talking about good defensive lines. Obviously, Laurier is up there with, and you know, you add in the whole box, the the front six, front seven. You know, Carlton is no slouch uh, either in that regard. Obviously, with the bodies up front, then with you know, Casser, Walsh, um, all the linebackers they have out there. Yeah, both those linebackers had very nice days statistically. Casser, uh, you know, is 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 consistently racking up the tackles. He had eight and a half on the day. Walsh had four and a half, including one for a loss. I would say, you know, this is one of the better Mike Will tandems. Yeah. And uh, their defensive line did a very nice job for them as well. Yeah, Tevin Bowen had a very nice day. Seven seven tackles, one of them a sack. And, uh, you know, just, just being a problem in the middle. Kenny Onyeka is back again. You know, he's, he's he had those couple games where he was injured. And, you know, you could see that there is some exposure when he's not in the game because he's just, he's just so good. He's so impactful, even when he's not – making a play he is commanding the attention of an offense so uh, plus ideally being able to keep robotai inside is probably best for them like having i think they like him a defensive end think so? i think so i think yeah. so but they have good players and and having that flexibility sure. yeah. if they want to bring him inside in a sub package and bring out uh you know charles brown the other defensive end shaheem charles brown they have that option as well uh so i again like just a good front played a good game both these fronts did DBs were burned on this day. Phil Loki for Carlton had a very nice day. He had 142 yards and two touchdowns. He just, oh boy, did he burn some DBs. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a stop and go route on one of his touchdowns, but he got just, you know, five steps deep. And, you know, there, there's there's no missing that if you're uh, if you're Mike Arruda. So, very impressive day by him. The rest of the receivers a little more quiet. You know, Nathan Carter didn't have a great day running the ball. But he did have a good day catching the ball. He had two receptions for 60 yards. And that's something we've come to see quite often with them, whether it's in the screen game or just releasing him out of the backfield, that they do look to hit Carter a lot. Yeah, absolutely. They have to. He's a really dynamic player for them. They need to get him in space. And if they can't get him in space in the run game, they can get him in space running screens Mm -hmm. in the pass game. So that's what they did, and and to great effect on those two receptions. You know, we talked about after the Laurier-Waterloo game, and then subsequently after, you know, Laurier went on that bit of a slide, whether that Waterloo-Laurier game was, you know, more indicative of where Laurier was at or, or where Waterloo was at. And with Carlton, yeah, a lot of nice things happened in this game today, but they still lost. And they had that game against Waterloo earlier this year where, you know, you, I mean, if if some butts were candies and nuts, yada, yada, yada. Waterloo was obviously in a position to win that game at various points. Arguably, they gave it away. But this is a Carlton team that, and this is kind of a story we've seen with this team for a few years, just, just disappointing. Like, 
it's just I don't know what it is. Like yeah, yeah, it's it's too bad because they really do have the players, and at times you can see they're doing really good stuff scheme wise, but at other times it just it doesn't feel I don't know like they just. <clears throat> There, yeah, there is something. There's something I don't wrong. Know what it is, and yeah. you know they they've been up there with the the GGs in terms of most penalized teams, and they finished on the day with 11 penalties, 89 yards, which you know you'll take that given. I don't know what they've been giving up or how many penalties they've been giving up regularly, but I'm pretty sure it's been a little more than that. Um, I just there's some something's going on with this team. I don't know what it is, and it's just it's frustrating because when you have this kind of similar to why Guelph's so frustrating when you just have so much talent, and it doesn't bear out in the way you would expect it to, it just it leaves so much to be desired. Well, they really set the expectations high for themselves at the beginning of the season. True. Carlton did with that close overtime loss to Western. Yeah, that's because a good point. they were showing you stuff that they. Hadn't shown you as much in years past. That very effective vertical passing game. And that has, you know, been the story of the team. They've still been effective passing the ball down the field. They just, you know, in previous years, they had this incredible running game. And we knew they would take a step back there, losing so many offensive linemen. Sure. But I think maybe we we, we weren't prepared for how much that would affect their offense and their overall, you know, efficacy as a, as a team, right? Because that... That help that would help them grind games down and win games late. And you know, again, like they they have had they had that close win against Waterloo, so they did win that game, which Credit is massive. Them. But that that seemed more to me to be a matter of Waterloo just playing their most costly game in terms of mistakes. Like, yeah. I'm not saying it was the worst game they played. That probably that mantle would probably fall to the York game. Uh, even then, though, you know, like they. They they did play a decent game offensively against York. They just inopportune errors, you know, at the wrong times, and you know their defense played probably that was probably their worst game defensively. But that game against Carlton, Waterloo could have easily won that game. Yeah, Carlton also left stuff on the field. Yeah, but... and and that game, you know, you have you have Carlton sitting at four and three right now in fourth place. Um, Waterloo right behind them at three and three. Like we said, that game could have gone either way so quickly, and that's an easy just. Swatch of a switch of uh, places right there in the standings. Yeah, very very frustrating for teams that that you know, especially Waterloo, right? With that York loss yeah. and that that Carlton loss, you think about where they could be right now. Well, with with Carlton and Waterloo seemingly being so you know evenly matched, just based on that matchup we saw between them, and just some other indicators, could this possibly lead to another big upset next week when Carlton goes to visit York? Well, stranger things. Stranger things, I suppose. Yeah, I, it, it it could happen. It could happen. It could happen. I don't. Th- I'm not gonna bet on it. But in terms of York having a chance to make the playoffs, if they win out, they're gonna have some good tiebreakers, right? If they yeah. have the tie, if they have a tiebreaker against Carlton, Carlton will have finished four and four. Oh my! Because this, you know, Carlton has just the one game left. So if York wins out. And Carlton is the only game where you know that's that's a stretch because they also have who they have. Um, well, they got the bylaw at the end of the week. No, Carlton does. Oh, oh then, sorry. Uh, For York what? at the very end of the year is plays U of T. U of T. Yeah, in the Battle of Toronto. So the red and white game. That's a very winnable game for York. And so for, they yeah. are sitting in a place right now. Like if if you can expect one game to be incredibly intense and emotionally pitched, it's got to be this game because this is a do or die game for a York team that. I think has has just sort of 
now has convinced themselves that they actually have a chance. They do. They have a chance. Absolutely. And also you look at Waterloo's remaining schedule, you know, and I guess we're, we're kind of jumping the gun here uh, with our sort of preview or our preview for the following week. You know, Waterloo playing Mac, then playing Guelph. It, ugh, I mean, still, that, that York playoff opportunity is uh, – Those are two very oh, tough boy. games for Waterloo. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so for, for Laurie, as we mentioned uh, earlier already, they are returning home to take on Windsor this Friday, uh, 11 a.m. start. I guess at this point for Laurier, they're just used to these early starts now. Um, let's see how Windsor fares with that. Why are we having a game at 11 a.m.? This, I mean, okay, on the Thanksgiving weekend, <clears throat> yeah, sure, get fine, the kids home but, early. But why next weekend? Like, I, uh, and the thing that's the thing that's the funniest to me is that you have Friday two, at 11 a.m. and then a one o'clock game, the Carlton York game following. But then moving to the Saturday, all three games are still at one o'clock. The OUA doesn't get it. We asked we asked <laughs> for some some variability in the time game start, and they're like. How's 11 a.m. on a Friday work for you? Our demands have been reasonable, and they have been, you know, put very kindly, and they have not been reciprocated. No, this is this is poor faith stuff on their part. Damn you, OUA. Oh, my goodness. We still love you, though. Yeah, we um, do. And we love you, Windsor. Just going <laughs> to throw that out again. We love you, Windsor. Well, um, Zach, Zach loves you a lot. Zach, <laughs> Zach is your biggest fan. But so that's that's the wrap for uh, Laurier-Carlton, and, of course, that wraps up week six, or pardon me, week seven, in the OUA, uh, the shortened week, and uh, let's move on. So bringing you out to Canada West really quick, there were no games this week in Canada West but. Uh, because because it was the Thanksgiving weekend and they gave them all buys. But one team did manage to lose three wins, and that team was Regina. They are now 0-5 because apparently they had to vacate their wins due to having played with an ineligible player, which was self-reported, which... That makes this sting so much. It more. really, really oh, does. God. Like I'm not, I'm not advocating cheating or playing with no. ineligible players, but oh my God, the decision you have to make to say we're going to self-report something that is going to completely tank our season. That's devastating. Like, feels so bad for the kids. Feel bad for Noah Pickton. Yeah, that's a brilliant, oh, brilliant man. quarterback who's had you know one of the great careers all time in U Sports history. Right up there with the best of them. And, you know, this this ruins his chance. Chance, because Calgary does look dominant. But it ruins his chance to have a have a go at them in the playoffs and, and perhaps perhaps lead his team to a Vanier Cup. And, and you know, regardless um, of, you know, we say a chance, that probably still would have been an amazing game to at least have seen Picton going toe-to-toe with uh, Sinagra in 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 that game. Oh man. Watching Noah Pickton's always fun. It will continue to be fun despite uh you know what now has has ruined Regina's season, but obviously it's a little bit different if you know they don't have a chance to make it to the playoffs and uh yeah, feel really uh really terrible for the kids there. You know, they work too hard, sacrifice too much to have this situation affect them and um you know, it's uh, it's unfortunate. There's really nothing else to be said. And uh, from what I heard, it's so the the player who was ineligible was a JUCO player, and then I guess his his eligibility to like get into the University of Regina was different from the eligibility it takes that U Sports requires to play. It's, it was I thought I read something about that. So you know, uh, seemingly an, a very honest mistake on their part. Um, from what I understand well, about it. Well, you know, obviously it's going to be an honest mistake if you 
are going to self-report it. If you self-report, right? Yeah, like yeah. you're good point. You're not going to do something egregiously shady and then <laughs> and then say, "Oh yeah, we were doing this by the way, vacate all our wins." Yeah, yeah, yeah. true, good point. No, that's uh, man, it's just so devastating, right? I mean, like I think we have to have a look at these sort of pick a kind of rules. Like this is just ridiculous. Like if a kid's eligible to play at a university, he should be eligible for the Canada West for the OU or for the U sports for the OUA as well. I mean, just to bring, uh, it, to, to bring it on home to us. Right. Cause I mean, you would hate to see Western or Laurier or Mac or any Whoever, school, yeah. any school have this happen to them. This is a black mark. And, and, uh, and even know, as a competitor, you know, like it's, he just there's it just takes away from the essence of sport in a way when when it's like you said it's not an egregious m- mistake or a misstep or something intentional it was just yeah i don't know yeah it's, it, no it sucks. it's it's silly it's really silly it's stupid and it does shake up stuff in canada west a lot in terms of their playoff picture uh because alberta you know therefore gets that win in that game against uh, Regina, which, you know, they didn't beat them, but hey. And they did beat UBC. So now Alberta, sitting at 2-3, and three, does have a chance to make the playoffs in Canada West with UBC also at 2-3. and three. So yeah. this is kind of interesting. This is something worth watching. That, that Alberta team beating UBC in that game was uh, now – Bigger than we realized. Bigger than we realized. Yeah. And they have a chance. And, you know, I don't think they would beat Manitoba, Saskatchewan, or Calgary in the playoffs – but they could. And Jonathan Rosary, their running back, is, you know. Yeah, you liked him. He's kind of my pick yeah. for, for U Sports Rookie of the Year. So something to watch if uh, if you do get a chance to watch Canada West football. That's now uh, – it's not ideal, but the conference is now shaken up and things are – It is what it is now. Things yeah. things are slightly more interesting for some of the bottom teams. And if um, if Alberta is able to make a run, I will uh, make sure to cook up a nice – um, humble pie for the two of us to share Ooh. after some words we've mentioned about uh, we eat a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be our first time eating humble pie on this show. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I guess that's I, yeah. So if, if you weren't aware, that's the you know current status of Can West and what's happening there. Um, should we take a look? Out? There were games elsewhere in U Sports. Should we take a quick look? Let's have a look. Yeah, so a couple games um, happening in the RSCQ on the Friday night. Uh, Miguel took on Sherbrooke in Sherbrooke. Um, they uh, Sherbrooke taking this one 14 to 13. Um, and then just yesterday, or on the Sunday Thanksgiving Sunday, you had Laval Montreal. Always a fun one, and um, you know as we've just grown accustomed to uh, a, a tightly contested battle coming down to an overtime victory for Laval, 18 to 15, um, which you know. Montreal's been amazing this year, uh, but they just hold two losses. And, of course, I'll uh, I'll give you one chance to guess who those two losses come from. So, Yeah, very well-attended game at the University of Laval, 18,000 people there. I mean, yeah, two losses to Laval. Guess what? These teams are going to yeah. both be in the playoffs, and they're going to be playing each other uh, in the RSQ final. And one of them will be in the Vanier. In the Vanier, in the UTEC Bowl, and then in the Vanier Cup. Yeah. Not to overlook the AUS, but let me just <laughs> let me just very intentionally overlook the AUS. Uh, you know they're gonna they're gonna kill whichever AUS team they meet, and uh, you know whether that's Montreal or you know it looks like it's more likely to be Laval if you can, yeah if you can take these uh, 
these two head-to-head games as proof that Laval is the better team, if only by a very slim margin. Either of these teams are going to be incredibly difficult for the winner of the Mitchell Bowl. Be it, you know, we if you're if you're a betting person, you would say it'll be Western, Western versus Calgary, Calgary yeah. in that game. Uh, and luckily for Western this time, it'll be in London. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. that never gets old for me. I'm sorry. Eddie. No, it doesn't. No, <laughs> if, you, if you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the magical 2013 year that we had at Western where we were beating everybody in the OUA by a ton. And then we go out to Calgary and it's snowing and it's cold and we just get demolished. Oh. Uh, left a very sour taste <laughs> in what was otherwise a very sweet season. But Calgary's coming to Western. If Western wins, not to, things, yeah. not to look ahead, we're not looking ahead of that, but just in my in my wild dreams, uh, Western beats the uh, the tar out of Calgary, you know, turns the dinos into uh, gasoline. Uh, you know, if you're familiar, that's what happened to dinosaurs when they were buried by a substantial force and abandoned for millions of years. They became oil. So hopefully, Western <laughs> can do that to them <laughs> and. Uh, and avenge that loss, but yeah, I mean, we have we have four uh, perfect teams at this point in the year: Calgary, Western, Laval, Laval and Saint Mary's. <laughs> Saint Mary's. <laughs> uh, and now, no, not to look, not to overlook the AUS too too much because they did play this weekend as well. You had Saint Effects taking down Acadia, thirty-three to thirty. Um, Saint Mary's taking out Bishops, who remains without a win on the season, to put them into some. Uh, not so good, uh, you know. Uh, put them along some not so nice names in the across U Sports, um, and I believe that was it. Only those two games. So then, in their standings, as we mentioned, St. Mary's remaining undefeated. St. FX in second, still at four and two, and then other stuff. Yeah, and 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 I talk, you know, I I. I... I say some mean things about the AUS, but there are some very good players out there. So, you know, as you know, as far as teams go, they don't have the depth maybe to hang with some of the best teams in the country. But I'd be very happy to see them prove me wrong against Laval or Montreal in uh, a month or so. That would be. I'm always happy for an, a more more humble pie. It's 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 so yummy and so. Yeah, I've got a huge appetite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even following Thanksgiving. Um, so that's our quick U Sports wrap for the week. Uh, and I guess now let's just move towards our uh, review for or our preview for the upcoming week in the OUA. We touched on most of these games in some capacity, um, but let's just do so perhaps with a bit more um, with a bit more of a look towards them. So uh, we have two Friday games once again, an 11 a.m. start in Laurier when the Lancers come to town. You know, once again, we kind of talked about you know, teams like Windsor and Toronto, and uh, I won't even throw York into that category because they still have uh, a hope of making playoffs. But for teams like Windsor and Toronto, a great time to be able to play spoiler. Uh, Laurier, you know, a massive win for them in Ottawa against Carlton, but they, they can't take their foot off the gas by any means, no matter who's coming to town. No, they can't. And for Windsor, this is going to be an interesting test for their offensive line that we've cited as being an improving unit in this league. And and sort of worth a watch. Obviously, Laurier has a fierce defensive front. Their D-line is perhaps the best in the league. I mean, I, I don't think that's a stretch at all. Uh, Western might have something to say about that. Mm-hmm. Carlton, maybe. But I would say uh, Windsor's going to have their hands full with that Laurier front. And we'll see if they can get their passing game going on you know, a Laurier team that did allow quite a few passing yards to Carlton. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'll be an interesting matchup. 
And well, and once again, talk. And I'm not not predicting a Windsor win <laughs> by you know any stretch. Yeah. You might because you you love them so much. But love you, Windsor. Yeah, he does. <laughs> uh, I expect Laurier to continue and to feed off of this momentum. Assuming Carousello will continue to be the starter. Yeah. That's obviously. I mean, it, who knows? Perhaps Tristan was banged up. Tristan aren't being the the previous starter for Laurier was banged up in that game where he threw all those interceptions. But Carousello played such a good game. It's hard to imagine taking him out at this point. Yeah, um, and and for Windsor too, you know, we mentioned how that uh, when Waterloo lost to Western, that might have taken out all the win from their sales. Hopefully, with Windsor, they can bounce back and show the production offensively that you know we we've seen them show at times. So that's the eleven um, eleven o'clock start in Laurier, second Friday game, uh, one o'clock start here in Toronto, Carlton visiting York, um, a game that I think I can I might be able to make it to. I've, it could be kind of fun. Um, you know, we mentioned already that, you know, for Carlton, if you want to play that game where, well, Carlton barely beat Waterloo and York beat Waterloo and now they're playing in a very meaningful game for both sides, maybe this becomes uh, – maybe this maybe this is a ball game. Who well, knows? It has a chance to be, right? Because York – their running game came alive against Waterloo in a way that it hadn't all year. And Waterloo's run defense is good. They're not a yeah. a shot unit. That had really been the strength of their Those defense. Those linebackers. Those linebackers oh, yeah. running around, creating havoc. And, uh, you know, in a sort of a, a serviceable defensive line, you know, giving them room to do that. Mm. If York can run on Waterloo, I'm not saying that means they'll be able to run on Carlton, but it certainly gives them a bit of a shot. And if that offense is in any way balanced – it can be dangerous because they can obviously throw the ball. Yeah, the, the brothers Hunchak are going to be connecting for a whole bunch of uh, passing yards. So, uh, you know, there is a chance. And and York defensively, they don't match up great. But no, I mean, who knows? Like they have they have some impact players, specifically Rossini, Sanjong, Jabam. So if he can play his best game and create lots of pressure on Aruda, you know, maybe fluster him. Maybe you know, there's a chance. There's yeah. a chance Aruda throws some. Some costly picks. There's just a chance. There's a chance that Carlton has a whole bunch of penalty yards and York stays composed. And this might be a Carlton team now that's just going in a little tense. You know, they, they should come in expecting to win this one, but probably maybe just, a, you know, if Aruda's just gripping that ball a little bit too tight or, you know, you're holding your breath on plays, just hoping everything goes well. You know, for Carlton, just go out play your game. You know what I mean? Like, you are better than this York team. Just almost... You know, all those, you know, cliche expressions you hear over the years playing sports about the score is 0-0 or whatever. Don't play down to competition. It's like literally just go out there and play your game. Don't worry about anything else because if, the, if they can do that, they're taking this game handedly. Like there shouldn't be a reason. Like one of the reasons I think we're talking about this being competitive is because of some of the, you know, downward trajectory this Carlton team has shown us of recent with these last two games that they've had. But this should be a Carlton win. And let's hope that they can bounce back just for their own sake. Um, and get get and you know right the ship, um, so to speak. Um, moving towards Saturday, we have our three one o'clock starts. Starting off with, well, I guess in no particular order, but just based on what the schedule's showing here, um, Western visiting Ottawa, which once again I am just hoping is the game that we just believe this can be. I mean, obviously there's massive playoff implications in terms of seeding for this one. Um, well, Western yeah. has shown that making the long trip to Ottawa to play Carlton at the beginning mm-hmm. of the year or even uh, going to, to Kingston, Kingston to yeah. play Queens, that 
you know, perhaps there is a bit of a bus legs effect. Yeah. And, you know, we know that to be something that can happen. But, you know, there are also there are extenuating circumstances, right? First game of the year for Western against Carlton. And then Queens, that was a classic kind of trap game yeah. where Queens was playing better football. But I'm sure Western was going in thinking they were just going to, you yeah. know, to pump Queens in a very nasty way. Obviously, Western is not going to be coming into this game against Ottawa thinking anything other than that this is the second best team in the conference. Yeah. And this game determines playoff seeding. So I sure hope not because, you know, going back to some of my some of my questions from the Ottawa UFT game when Ottawa just kept trying to, you know, air it out, um, you know, make big plays through the air, maybe part of their thinking is, well, as you mentioned, Western's shown to come out slow on some of these longer road trips. I wouldn't be surprised if Ottawa just comes out the gate saying, you know, let's just slink. Because if we can get up on these guys, they obviously have the weapons defensively to, I will by no means say shut down all Eastern's offense, but to make it close. So I, I wouldn't be, I won't be surprised if Ottawa comes out just throwing haymakers in this one. Yeah, I mean, if they can, if they can create turnovers on defense and be opportunistic on offense, they absolutely have a chance to, to, to take a lead and hold a lead. So. Yeah. Could be very interesting if Ottawa uh, could stop the Western running attack. Sure, boom, that's that's huge. Yeah. Obviously, that's important. So, uh, I still think this is a Western win. As do as do I. But but I think you know I wouldn't put the spread at sort of more than maybe nine nine points, something like that. So sure, uh, you know I think I think Western wins. I think Western. Well, I hope Western beats the <laughs> tar out of them. But uh, <laughs> we are the better horses. Purple hey, horses, okay. not not. Maroon horses. Uh, it's garnet. Garnet, whatever. Um, moving on, our next one, UFT visiting Guelph. Guelph coming off the Thanksgiving bye. Um, and then, of course, that uh, you know massive win for them against Laurier the, the week uh, prior, um, getting all those picks. And you know as we mentioned already, and as we mentioned uh, with Windsor going into Laurier, a great opportunity not only for Toronto to just pick up their first win of the season, but to play spoiler um, we'll see. I, who knows who's going to be starting at quarterback for them? Uh, whether Secure or Ennis is back, um, or whether they're sticking with uh, the rookie. But you know, obviously for Guelph, this is a game that you know you you have to win out. You you just you're already in a bit of a hole in terms of your um head to head matchups, which is going to play a huge factor for playoff seeding coming down, or even just making the playoffs. So you by no means can you drop this game. Yeah, absolutely not. And Toronto shows that they're they're very good at doing you know interesting stuff defensively, uh, in terms of varying their fronts, be it three fours or three threes or cowboy Indian fronts or even some plus ones. I think I saw they them ran do. they ran plus ones also. Yeah. So that'll be a test for the Guelph offensive line, who is you know on a player per player basis incredible. You know, at the beginning of the year, I said the best in the country. I still stand by that in terms of talent. I think, but. Uh, as a unit, they'll have a tough test in terms of uh, dealing with the defensive stuff that U of T is going to run. And then I'll be watching the matchup of Malcolm Campbell versus the two uh, offensive tackles for Guelph, Eric Starkzala and Andy McFalls. I think they're both elite. Obviously, Starkzala has looked, you know, like there is a little bit of a residual effect from his injury earlier in the year. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if he would agree with that, but it certainly seems to. to it looks that way a bit. It certainly seems <laughs> to bear out that way on film. Andy McFalls is playing elite football right now. If you like watching offensive line play, you will love watching him. So give that a look, and that should be a fun test for them. 
Otherwise, you know, offensively, I don't know how U of T is going to, you know, fare with the Guelph front. Uh, I expect it to not be a beautiful day for them. Uh, I don't really know. Yeah, I don't know what's going to work. I don't know if anything's going to work, but. Well, we don't even know who the quarterback's going to be. So, I mean, that's that's question number one, obviously. Um, but, you know, a great opportunity to play spoiler. I'm sure they would they would love the opportunity. Um and then our last game of the week, uh, McMaster traveling to Waterloo to take on the Warriors. Uh, Waterloo also coming off the uh, the Turkey bye week, and just a team that that bye week was pretty crucial for them because they were reeling, they were they were sliding, and I don't think uh, there's no other team in this league that needed that bye more than them at that juncture. Probably, and they'll have to play a MAC team that's finally finding their feet on offense yeah. and playing great defense. Uh, you know, every week pretty much, or, or basically every week, certainly looking like one of the teams to be, look like they might finish as the third seed in the conference. That's where they're seated right now. Uh, absolutely everything could change after this game, right? This yeah. would be a crucial, crucial game in terms of securing wins and tiebreakers. So that'll be an interesting matchup. Anytime Trey Ford's on the field, you gotta it's, watch. it's interesting. Yeah, It's interesting if he's matched up against a good defense, a bad defense. It's interesting if he's going to run the ball a lot or pass the ball a lot because he can do both very effectively. So, absolutely, I'm very, very excited to see what these two Waterloo star receivers in Tyler Tronowski and Gordon Lom can do against the McMaster defensive backs who overall have played a great year so far. Otherwise, I mean, you know, again, like Max offense, can they really bring it to Waterloo? That's the question I, I have for their offense because the way that they were clicking last game Certainly looks like they could. They could, yeah. they could put up a ton of points. Yeah, and for Waterloo, now that we're getting towards the end of the season, you know, you you can't miss these games just because this is where we're getting to that territory of, you know, Trey Ford and Tyler Ternowski uh, might could could set some OUA records. Um, and you know, it, it, maybe not in this game. Maybe it's comes down to the last week of the season for them. But I mean, it's it's very likely that that one of t- these two, if not both, are going to be breaking some touchdown records. Um, and I mean, what a what a special thing that would be to be able to see, um, particularly if if one or both of them were able to do it at home, as opposed to you know, n- not that it takes away from it, but you know, they're they're finishing up their season on the road in Guelph. Always a sweeter thing where you can set those records at home in front of your home home crowd uh, field. Um, and yeah, once again, Justice Allen now his second game. How is he gonna? How is he gonna keep getting better? Um, really, no film on him, which is the most spectacular thing for Mac. Just being able to say like, you have no idea how we're gonna use this guy. Well, um, they have a pretty good idea based on that one game because it makes so much sense, and true. that's swing passes on the edge and get him in space. Have him have yeah. him in the backfield in formations in that what I call the demon package where they right. have the, uh, they have their fullback or H back, whatever you want to call him, Blake Reason, and then they have Justice Allen beside him. Uh, beside the quarterback on the other side, and then they have Lions uh, behind the queue. Yeah, it's kind of funny. There's some really bad jokes being made there. They have, they have reason and justice in the backfield. Yeah, the the yeah, it's, it's, it is it is an effective judicial system <laughs> in the backfield. There you go. Um, so I mean, it'll, it'll be great to see. Really, this is this is shaping up to be probably one of the most entertaining weeks in the OEO we've seen just based on the matchups, based on the playoff implications. Um, and you know, like we said, there's, there's, it seems like every week at this point, we're seeing new records being set either individually for a team or in the OUA, um, sort of at large. So, you know, coming down the wire, you you can't be missing these games. It's going to be fantastic. 
we might see some teams get knocked out this week. We might see some teams jump into the fold when we didn't think they would. I just, it, I'm so excited. It's another brilliant week in the OUA, I, I am sure of. Um, yeah, the conference has been just as dynamic as we had hoped it would be, basically. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the, the bottom tier teams sort of, they've, they've, they've been more exciting than I think I expected them to be. And absolutely, I'm, I'm thrilled and excited to watch every game this week. So, yeah. And despite the record, Western has shown they have been vulnerable at times, which, you know, you just, you know, this is football. You just need that one opportunity um, to take advantage of. Um, and we'll see if Ottawa can do that in, in this weekend. This whole possession of first. Oh, my goodness. That's that's wild just thinking about that. But that that's our that's our wrap this week. Um, we gave you the wrap from, you know, all the Thanksgiving games. We took you around the youth, the youth sports landscape. Uh, of course, what happened out in Can West this week. And then the preview for week eight up, uh, upcoming in the OUA. Um, any last uh, thoughts or words for the people out there, Eddie? Tell your friends. Make sure everyone's listening to this podcast so we can have uh, enough viewers to eventually get sponsors so we can uh, swag the heck out. Yeah, we need we need big money dollars. So <laughs> oh, yeah. definitely uh, definitely get us those extra views by uh, you know sharing with teammates or, or players on other teams. If you could, that'd be great. And we will continue to break down you know the conference and, and uh, give you our thoughts. Couldn't have said it better myself. And you know we're on all the social medias. Don't even need to name them. You are all, you're already on all of them. The name's at the 55. You know that already. Um, so that's it. We'll see you next week at the 55.